Chapter Eighteen of Desperate Remedies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingming. Desperate Remedies by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Eighteen: The Events of Three Days. One March the Eighteenth sunday morning had come and owen was trudging over the six miles of hill and dale that lay between tall church and carriford edward springrove's answer to the last letter after expressing his amazement at the strange contradiction between the verses and mrs morris's letter had been to the effect that he had again visited the neighbour of the dead mr brown and had received as near a description of mrs manston as it was possible to get at second hand and by hearsay she was a tall woman wide at the shoulders and full-chested and she had a straight and rather large nose the colour of her eyes the informant did not know for she had only seen the lady in the street as she went in and out this confusing remark was added the woman had almost recognized mrs manston when she had called with her husband lately but she had kept her veil down her residence before she came to hoxton was quite unknown to this next-door neighbour and edward could get no manner of clue to it from any other source owen reached the church door a few minutes before the bells began chiming nobody was yet in the church and he walked round the aisles from cytherea's frequent description of how and where herself and others used to sit he knew where to look for manston's seat and after two or three airs of examination he took up a prayer-book in which was written eunice manston the book was nearly new and the date of the writing about a month earlier one point was at any rate established that the woman living with manston was presented to the world as no other than his lawful wife the quiet villagers of carriford required no pew-opener in their place of worship natives and indwellers had their own seats and strangers sat where they could grayer took a seat in the nave on the north side close behind a pillar dividing it from the north aisle which was completely allotted to miss aldercliffe her farmers and her retainers manston's pew being in the midst of them owen's position on the other side of the passage was a little in advance of manston's seat and so situated that by leaning forward he could look directly into the face of any person sitting there though if he sat upright he was wholly hidden from such a one by the intervening pillar aiming to keep his presence unknown to manston if possible owen sat without once turning his head during the entrance of the congregation a rustling of silk round by the north passage and into manston's seat told him that some woman had entered there 
and as it seemed from the accompaniment of heavier footsteps manston was with her immediately upon rising up he looked intently in that direction and saw a lady standing at the end of the seat nearest himself portions of manston's figure appeared on the other side of her in two glances grayer read thus many of her characteristics and in the following order she was a tall woman she was broad at the shoulders she was full bosomed she was easily recognizable from the photograph but nothing could be discerned of the color of her eyes with a preoccupied mind he withdrew into his nook and heard the service continued only conscious of the fact that in opposition to the suspicion which one odd circumstance had bred in his sister concerning this woman all ostensible and ordinary proofs and probabilities tended to the opposite conclusion there sat the genuine original of the portrait could he wish for more cytheria wished for more eunice manston's eyes were blue and it was necessary that this woman's eyes should be blue also unskilled labor wastes in beating against the bars ten times the energy exerted by the practised hand in the effective direction owen felt this to be the case in his own and edward's attempts to follow up the clue afforded them think as he might he could not think of a crucial test in the matter absorbing him which should possess the indispensable attribute a capability of being applied privately that in the event of its proving the lady to be the rightful owner of the name she used he might recede without obloquy from an untenable position but to see mrs manston's eyes from where he sat was impossible and he could do nothing in the shape of a direct examination at present miss aldercliffe had possibly recognized him but manston had not and feeling that it was indispensable to keep the purport of his visit a secret from the steward he thought it would be as well too to keep his presence in the village a secret from him at any rate till the day was over at the first opening of the doors grayer left the church and wandered away into the fields to ponder on another scheme he could not call on farmer springgrove as he had intended until this matter was set at rest two hours intervened between the morning and afternoon services this time had nearly expired before owen had struck out any method of proceeding or could decide to run the risk of calling at the old house and asking to see mrs manston point-blank but he had drawn near the place and was standing still in the public path from which a partial view of the front of the building could be obtained when the bells began chiming for afternoon service whilst grayer paused two persons came from the front door of the half-hidden dwelling whom he presently saw to be manston and his wife manston was wearing his old garden hat and carried one of the monthly magazines under his arm immediately they had passed the gateway 
he branched off and went over the hill in a direction away from the church evidently intending to ramble alone and read as the humour moved him the lady meanwhile turned in the other direction and went into the church path owen resolved to make something of this opportunity he hurried along towards the church doubled round a sharp angle and came back upon the other path by which mrs manston must arrive in about three minutes she appeared in sight without a veil he discovered as she drew nearer a difficulty which had not struck him at first that it is not an easy matter to particularize the color of a stranger's eyes in a merely casual encounter on a path out of doors that mrs manston must be brought close to him and not only so but to look closely at him if his purpose were to be accomplished he shaped a plan it might by chance be effectual if otherwise it would not reveal his intention to her when mrs manston was within speaking distance he went up to her and said will you kindly tell me which turning will take me to castlebridge the second on the right said mrs manston owen put on a blank look he held his hand to his ear conveying to the lady the idea that he was deaf she came closer and said more distinctly the second turning on the right owen flushed a little he fancied he had beheld the revelation he was in search of but had his eyes deceived him once more he used the ruse still drawing nearer and intimating by a glance that the trouble he gave her was very distressing to him how very deaf she murmured she exclaimed loudly the second turning to the right she had advanced her face to within a foot of his own and in speaking mouthed very emphatically fixing her eyes intently upon his and now his first suspicion was indubitably confirmed her eyes were as black as midnight all this feigning was most distasteful to graye the riddle having been solved he unconsciously assumed his natural look before she had withdrawn her face she found him to be peering at her as if he would read her very soul expressing with his eyes the notification of which apart from emotion the eyes are more capable than any other inquiry her face changed its expression then its colour the natural tint of the lighter portions sank to an ashy grey the pink of her cheeks grew purpler it was the precise result which would remain after blood had left the face of one whose skin was dark and artificially coated with pearl powder and carmine she turned her head and moved away murmuring a hasty reply to owen's farewell remark of good day and with a kind of nervous twitch lifting her hand and smoothing her hair which was of a light brown colour she wears false hair he thought or has changed its colour artificially her true hair matched her eyes and now 
in spite of what mr brown's neighbours had said about nearly recognising mrs manston on her recent visit which might have meant anything or nothing in spite of the photograph and in spite of his previous incredulity in consequence of the verse of her silence and backwardness at the visit to hoxton with manston and of her appearance and distress at the present moment graye had a conviction that the woman was an impostor what could be manston's reason for such an astounding trick he could by no stretch of imagination divine he changed his direction as soon as the woman was out of sight and plodded along the lanes homeward to toll church one new idea was suggested to him by his desire to allay cytherea's dread of being claimed and by the difficulty of believing that the first mrs manston lost her life as supposed notwithstanding the inquest and verdict was it possible that the real mrs manston who was known to be a philadelphian by birth had returned by the train to london as the porter had said and then left the country under an assumed name to escape that worst kind of widowhood the misery of being wedded to a fickle faithless and truant husband in her complicated distress at the news brought by her brother cytherea's thoughts at length reverted to her friend the rector of carriford she told owen of mr roundham's warm-hearted behaviour towards herself and of his strongly expressed wish to aid her he is not only a good but a sensible man we seem to want an old head on our side and he is a magistrate said owen in a tone of concurrence he thought too that no harm could come of confiding in the rector but there was a difficulty in bringing about the confidence he wished that his sister and himself might both be present at an interview with mr roundham yet it would be unwise for them to call on him together in the sight of all the servants and parish of carriford there could be no objection to their writing him a letter no sooner was the thought born than it was carried out they wrote to him at once asking him to have the goodness to give them some advice they sadly needed and begging that he would accept their assurance that there was a real justification for the additional request they made that instead of their calling upon him he would any evening of the week come to their cottage at toll church two march the twentieth six to nine o'clock p m two evenings later to the total disarrangement of his dinner hour mr roundham appeared at owen's door his arrival was hailed with genuine gratitude the horse was tied to the palings and the rector ushered indoors and put into the easy chair then grayer told him the whole story reminding him that their first suspicions had been of a totally different nature and that in endeavouring to obtain proof of their truth 
they had stumbled upon marks which had surprised them into these new uncertainties thrice as marvellous as the first yet more prominent cytherea's heart was so full of anxiety that it superinduced a manner of confidence which was a death-blow to all formality mr raunham took her hand pityingly it is a serious charge he said as a sort of original twig on which his thoughts might precipitate themselves assuming for a moment that such a substitution was rendered an easy matter by fortuitous events he continued there is this consideration to be placed beside it what earthly motive can mr manston have had which would be sufficiently powerful to lead him to run such a very great risk the most abandoned roue could not at that particular crisis have taken such a reckless step for the mere pleasure of a new companion owen had seen that difficulty about the motive cytheria had not unfortunately for us the rector resumed no more evidence is to be obtained from the porter chinney i suppose you know what became of him he got to liverpool and embarked intending to work his way to america but on the passage he fell overboard and was drowned but there is no doubt of the truth of his confession in fact his conduct tends to prove it true and no moral doubt of the fact that the real mrs manston left here to go back by that morning's train this being the case then why if this woman is not she did she take no notice of the advertisement i mean not necessarily a friendly notice but from the information it afforded her have rendered it impossible that she should be personified without her own connivance i think that argument is overthrown graye said by my earliest assumption of her hatred of him weariness of the chain which bound her to him and a resolve to begin the world anew let's suppose she has married another man somewhere abroad say she would be silent for her own sake you've hit the only genuine possibility said mr raunham tapping his finger upon his knee that would decidedly dispose of the second difficulty but his motive would be as mysterious as ever cytherea's pictured dreads would not allow her mind to follow their conversation she's burned she said oh yes i fear i fear she is i don't think we can seriously believe that now after what has happened said the rector still straining her thought towards the worst then perhaps the first mrs manston was not his wife she returned and then i should be his wife just the same shouldn't i they were married safely enough said owen there is abundance of circumstantial evidence to prove that upon the whole said mr raunham i should advise your asking in a straightforward way for legal proof from the steward that the present woman is really his original wife a thing which to my mind you should have done at the outset 
he turned to cytherea kindly and asked her what made her give up her husband so unceremoniously she could not tell the rector of her aversion to manston and of her unquenched love for edward your terrified state no doubt he said answering for her in a manner of those accustomed to the pulpit but into such a solemn compact as marriage all important considerations both legally and morally enter it was your duty to have seen everything clearly proved doubtless mr manston is prepared with proofs but as it concerns nobody but yourself that her identity should be publicly established and by your absenteeism you act as if you were satisfied he has not troubled to exhibit them nobody else has taken the trouble to prove what does not affect them in the least that is the way of the world always you who should have required all things to be made clear ran away that was partly my doing said owen the same explanation her want of love for manston applied here too but she shunned the revelation but never mind added the rector it was all the greater credit to your womanhood perhaps i say then get your brother to write a line to mr manston saying you wish to be satisfied that all is legally clear in case you should want to marry again for instance and i have no doubt that you will be or if you would rather i'll write myself oh no sir no pleaded cytherea beginning to blanch and breathing quickly please don't say anything let me live here with owen i am so afraid it will turn out that i shall have to go to knapwater and be his wife and i don't want to go do conceal what we have told you let him continue his deception it is much the best for me mr Rangham at length divined that her love for manston if it had ever existed had transmuted itself into a very different feeling now at any rate he said as he took his leave and mounted his mare i will see about it rest content miss graye and depend upon it that i will not lead you into difficulty conceal it she still pleaded we'll see but of course i must do my duty no don't do your duty she looked up at him through the gloom illuminating her own face and eyes with the candle she held i will consider then said mr Rangham, sensibly moved he turned his horse's head bade them a warm adieu and left the door the rector of carriford trotted homewards under the cold and clear march sky its countless stars fluttering like bright birds he was unconscious of the scene recovering from the effect of cytherea's voice and glance of entreaty he laid the subject of the interview clearly before himself the suspicion of cytherea and owen were honest and had foundation that he must own was he a clergyman magistrate 
and conscientious man justified in yielding to cytherea's importunities to keep silence because she dreaded the possibility of a return to manston was she wise in her request holding her present belief and with no definite evidence either way she could for one thing never conscientiously marry any one else suppose that cytheria were manston's wife i e that the first wife was really burnt the adultery of manston would be proved and mr roundham thought cruelty sufficient to bring the case within the meaning of the statute suppose the new woman was as stated mr manston's restored wife cytheria was perfectly safe as a single woman whose marriage had been void and if it turned out that though this woman was not manston's wife his wife was still living as owen had suggested in america or elsewhere cytheria was safe the first supposition opened up the worst contingency was she really safe as manston's wife doubtful but however that might be the gentle defenceless girl whom it seemed nobody's business to help or defend should be put in a track to proceed against this man she had but one life and the superciliousness with which all the world now regarded her should be compensated in some measure by the man whose carelessness to set him in the best light had caused it mr roundham felt more and more positively that his duty must be done an inquiry must be made into the matter immediately on reaching home he sat down and wrote a plain and friendly letter to mr manston and dispatched it at once to him by hand then he flung himself back in his chair and went on with his meditation was there anything in the suspicion there could be nothing surely nothing is done by a clever man without a motive and what conceivable motive could manston have for such abnormal conduct corinthian that he might be who had preyed on virginity like st george's dragon he would never have been absurd enough to venture on such a course for the possession alone of the woman there was no reason for it she was inferior to cytheria in every respect physical and mental on the other hand it seemed rather odd when he analyzed the action that a woman who deliberately hid herself from her husband for more than a twelvemonth should be brought back by a mere advertisement in fact the whole business had worked almost too smoothly and effectually for unpremeditated sequence it was too much like the indiscriminate writing of everything at the end of an old play and there was that curious business of the keys and watch her way of accounting for their being left behind by forgetfulness had always seemed to him rather forced the only unforced explanation was that suggested by the newspaper writers 
that she left them behind on purpose to blind people as to her escape a motive which would have clashed with the possibility of her being fished back by an advertisement as the present woman had been again there were the two charred bones he shuffled the books and papers in his study and walked about the room restlessly musing on the same subject the parlour-maid entered can young mr springrove from london see you to-night sir young mr springrove said the rector surprised yes sir yes of course he can see me tell him to come in edward came so impatiently into the room as to show that the few short moments his announcement had occupied had been irksome to him he stood in the doorway with the same black bag in his hand and the same old grey cloak on his shoulders that he had worn fifteen months earlier when returning on the night of the fire this appearance of his conveyed a true impression he had become a stagnant man but he was excited now i have this moment come from london he said as the door was closed behind him the prophetic insight which so strangely accompanies critical experiences prompted mr roundham's reply about the grayers and manston yes that woman is not mrs manston prove it i can prove that she is somebody else that her name is anne seaway anne are their suspicions true indeed and i can do what's more to the purpose at present suggest manston's motive only suggested remember but my assumption fits so perfectly with the facts that have been secretly unearthed and conveyed to me that i can hardly conceive of another there was in edward's bearing that entire unconsciousness of himself which natural to wild animals only prevails in a sensitive man at moments of extreme intentness the rector saw that he had no trivial story to communicate whatever the story was sit down said mr roundham my mind has been on the stretch all the evening to form the slightest guess at such an object and all to no purpose entirely to no purpose have you said anything to owen graye nothing nor to anybody i could not trust to the effect a letter might have upon yourself either the intricacy of the case brings me to this interview whilst springrove had been speaking the two had sat down together the conversation hitherto distinct to every corner of the room was carried on now in tones so low as to be scarcely audible to the interlocutors and in phrases which hesitated to complete themselves three-quarters of an hour passed then edward arose came out of the rector's study and again flung his cloak around him instead of going thence homeward he went first to the carriford road station with a telegram having dispatched which he proceeded to his father's house 
for the first time since his arrival in the village three from nine to ten o'clock p m the next presentation is the interior of the old house on the evening of the preceding section the steward was sitting by his parlour fire and had been reading the letter arrived from the rectory opposite to him sat the woman known to the village and neighbourhood as mrs manston things are looking desperate with us he said gloomily his gloom was not that of the hypochondriac but the legitimate gloom which has its origin in a syllogism as he uttered the words he handed the letter to her i almost expected some such news as this she replied in a tone of much greater indifference i knew suspicion lurked in the eyes of that young man who stared at me so in the church path i could have sworn it manston did not answer for some time his face was worn and haggard latterly his head had not been carried so uprightly as of old if they prove you to be who you are yes if they do he murmured they must not find that out she said in a positive voice and looking at him but supposing they do the trick does not seem to me to be so serious as to justify that wretched miserable horrible look of yours it makes my flesh creep it is perfectly death-like he did not reply and she continued if they say and prove that eunice is indeed living and dear you know she is she is sure to come back this remark seemed to awaken and irritate him to speech again as he had done a hundred times during their residence together he categorized the events connected with the fire at the three tranters he dwelt on every incident of that night's history and endeavoured with an anxiety which was extraordinary in the apparent circumstances to prove that his wife must by the very nature of things have perished in the flames she arose from her seat crossed the hearth-rock and set herself to soothe him then she whispered that she was still as unbelieving as ever come supposing she escaped just supposing she escaped where is she coaxed the lady why are you so curious continually said manston because i am a woman and want to know now where is she in the flying isle of sam borandon witty cruelty is the cruelest of any ah well if she is in england she will come back she is not in england but she will come back no she won't come madam he said arousing himself i shall not answer any more questions ah 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 she is not dead the woman murmured again poutingly she is i tell you i don't think so love she was burnt i tell you he exclaimed now to please me admit the bare possibility of her being alive 
just the possibility oh yes to please you i will admit that he said quickly yes i'd admit the possibility of her being alive to please you she looked at him in utter perplexity the words could only have been said in jest and yet they seemed to savour of a tone the furthest remove from jesting there was his face plain to her eyes but no information of any kind was to be read there it is only natural that i should be curious she murmured pettishly if i resemble her as much as you say i do you are handsomer he said though you are about her own height and size but don't worry yourself you must know that you are body and soul united with me though you are but my housekeeper she bridled a little at the remark wife she said most certainly wife since you cannot dismiss me without losing your character and position and incurring heavy penalties i own it it was well said though mistakenly very mistakenly don't riddle to me about mistakenly and such dark things now what was your motive dearest in running the risk of having me here your beauty he said she thanks you much for the compliment but will not take it come what was your motive your wit no no not my wit wit would have made a wife of me by this time instead of what i am your virtue or virtue either i tell you it was your beauty really but i cannot help seeing and hearing and if what people say is true i am not nearly so good-looking as cytheria and several years older the aspect of manston's face at these words from her was so confirmatory of her hint that his forced reply of oh no tended to develop her chagrin mere liking or love for me she resumed would not have sprung up all of a sudden as your pretended passion did you had been to london several times between the time of the fire and your marriage with cytheria you had never visited me or thought of my existence or cared that i was out of a situation and poor but the week after you married her and were separated from her off you rushed to make love to me not first to me either for you went to several places no not several places yes you told me so yourself that you went first to the only lodging in which your wife had been known as mrs manston and when you found that the lodging-housekeeper had gone away and died and that nobody else in the street had any definite ideas as to your wife's personal appearance and came and proposed the arrangement we carried out that i should personate her your taking all this trouble shows that something more serious than love had to do with the matter humbug what trouble after all did i take when i found cytheria would not stay with me after the wedding i was much put out at being left alone again was that unnatural no 
and those favouring accidents you mention that nobody knew my first wife seemed an arrangement of providence for our mutual benefit and merely perfected a half-formed impulse that i should call you my first wife to escape the scandal that would have arisen if you had come here as anything else my love that story won't do if mrs manston was burnt cytheria whom you love better than me could have been compelled to live with you as your lawful wife if she was not burnt why should you run the risk of her turning up again at any moment and exposing your substitution of me and ruin your name and prospects why because i might have loved you well enough to run the risk assuming her not to be burnt which i deny no you would have run the risk the other way you would rather have risked her finding you with cytheria as a second wife than with me as a personator of herself the first one you came easiest to hand remember that not so very easy either considering the labour you took to teach me your first wife's history all about how she was a native of philadelphia then making me read up the guide-book to philadelphia and details of american life and manners in case the birthplace and history of your wife eunice should ever become known in this neighbourhood unlikely as it was ah and then about the handwriting of hers that i had to imitate and the dyeing my hair and rouging to make the transformation complete you mean to say that that was taking less trouble than there would have been in arranging events to make cytheria believe herself your wife and live with you you were a needy adventuress who would dare anything for a new pleasure and an easy life and i was fool enough to give in to you good heavens above did i ask you to insert those advertisements for your own wife and to make me answer it as if i was she did i ask you to send me the letter for me to copy and send back to you when the third advertisement appeared purporting to come from the long-lost wife and giving a detailed history of her escape and subsequent life all which you had invented yourself you deluded me into loving you and then enticed me here ah and this is another thing how did you know the real wife wouldn't answer it and upset all your plans because i knew she was burnt why didn't you force cytheria to come back then now my love i have caught you and you may just as well tell first as last what was your motive in having me here as your first wife silence he exclaimed she was silent for the space of two minutes and then persisted in going on to mutter and why was it that miss aldercliffe allowed her favourite young lady cythy to be overthrown and supplanted without an expostulation or any show of sympathy do you know i often think you exercise a secret power over miss aldercliffe and she always shines me as if i shared the power 
a poor ill-used creature like me sharing power indeed she thinks you are mrs manston that wouldn't make her avoid me yes it would he exclaimed impatiently i wish i was dead dead he had jumped up from his seat in uttering the words and now walked wearily to the end of the room coming back more decisively he looked in her face we must leave this place if brownham suspects what i think he does he said the request of cytheria and her brother may simply be for a satisfactory proof to make her feel legally free but it may mean more what may it mean how shall i know well well never mind old boy she said approaching him to make up the quarrel don't be so alarmed anybody would think that you were the woman and i the man suppose they do find out what i am we can go away from here and keep house as usual people will say of you his first wife was burned to death or ran away to the colonies as the case may be he married a second and deserted her for anne seaway a very everyday case nothing so horrible after all he made an impatient movement whichever way we do it nobody must know that you are not my wife eunice and now i must think about arranging matters manston then retired to his office and shut himself up for the remainder of the evening End of chapter eighteen recording by shi ping ling